We're going to get back into the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And you might say, Brother Wayne, how long are you going to be in chapter 1? I'll, I'll say until I get to chapter 2, I'll be in chapter 1. So I don't know how long that's going to be, but right now we're in chapter 1. I, I believe chapter 1 is the foundation for the book. That, that if you don't get chapter 1, I, I believe you won't get the rest of the book. And I believe that's why a lot of people interpret Revelation like they do because they do not see, it's first off, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's speaking to the events that were ready to happen in John's day and not necessarily future. Now, do these events apply to us? Absolutely. If we, if we do not understand them, I believe we have all kinds of uh, turmoil inside. I believe that. And I believe that many believers in the church are, are built up with a lot of turmoils because they do not understand the Word of God. And, and the only way I can truthfully understand the Word of God is by the Spirit of God. I, ha I have to learn by the Spirit of God. He teaches me. He's my teacher. And if I, if I hear what Jesus said in John 16, he said, He shall take of mine. Now, Jesus is the living Word of God. How many believes that? John 1 declared Him to be the Word of God. So, He shall take me, the living Word of God, and show unto you. So, the Spirit's going to show the Word. That's the, that's the reality of our salvation is God revealing His Word, His Son, His Word in you. That's, that's the reality of salvation. That is the reality of what God is doing. That's really what God is saying. I went back and listened to the message Brother Register ministered on the Sunday when he ministered here, and I titled it, The Open Heaven. And, and as I listened to it, he was he, Brother Register was declaring the word from heaven. You know, in, in the book of Hebrews it says there was a word, there would be a word from heaven, and it would shake what both the heaven and the earth. And and sometimes we don't hear this. Jesus Himself was the word from heaven that shook the heaven and the earth. He shakes up. Everything. He shook the whole religious system in that day. Still is. He shook Judaism. He shook it. He, he, he tore it down. And, and that has to be removed out of our hearts and our minds because so many people still want to approach God through the old Jewish law and believe that somehow part of that law is still in force. So many believers think that today. And, and, you know, Paul made it plain to them in his Gospels. He said if you're going to keep part of the law, then you must keep all of the law. And part, if you're going to keep part of the law, then you've got to keep all of the law. That means you've got to build you a tabernacle or a temple, and you're going to have to offer some bulls and goats and turtle doves if you're going to keep the law. And see, believers are in this place. Believers are. Not sinners. Believers. Because we've been taught the law 
from our childhood in some form or fashion. I, 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 I sometimes may seem to pick on Pentecostalism because I grew up in it. But every denomination teaches a form of law almost. I'll give, a, I'll give an almost out there. But most try to subject you to the law. How you should live. Well, go read the law. Well, if the law could have brought life, Jesus would not have come. Ethan, go close this back door. But the law could not bring life. You know that? It had no ability to bring the life of God to you. Zero. So why then are we hung up with the law? We shouldn't be here. We, we should be far beyond that. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And I want you to pay particular attention as we, as we will start most likely moving to the high priest, of Jesus being the high priest, maybe not next week, but the, uh, the following one if we don't get there next week. But it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girded about the patch with a golden girdle, and, and to me, this is speaking of the garment of the priest, the priest's garment, and girt about the patch, the chest, is a golden girdle or breastplate. All right? His head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned... In a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So, so here is a picture of the Son of Man in the seven candlesticks. And I like to say this is how Jesus looks in you. This is how he appeared in the candlesticks because John saw him in the seven golden candlesticks and we, we've talked about this. And the seven candlesticks were the seven churches of Asia. So John sees this appearance walking in the candlesticks. So, so the man with feet of brass is walking in the candlestick, so the judgment, the brass is speaking of his judgment of his death on the cross. And that judgment is in the candlesticks. And the church that is the candlestick has to come to his judgment. And that's, and that's why it's important to turn to His voice and hear His voice and see Him. Because when I turn to hear His voice, I'm going to see Him. 
I'm going to turn away from, from, sometimes I may turn away from everything I've been taught to see Him. And when I see Him, I'm going to see Him in, in a measure of this fashion. I believe Brother John's thrown out a full measure. But when I, when I see this picture, I should in my heart and mind go back to the tabernacle or temple of the Old Testament. That's what I should see because the brass is there in the Old Testament and the altar of, of the offering was an altar of brass. And in the other place I find brass, I can find brass several places in the Old Testament. I, when they were bit by the serpents, what were they commanded to build? A serpent of brass upon a pole. So that serpent of brass was the judgment upon the serpents, upon their bite. It was not just the judgment of, of how do I say it? It was the judgment on the serpent. The serpent's strength was judged when, when Moses held up that brass serpent, those that had been bit, and looked unto that judgment. Lift. Those that didn't look there perished. And, and, it, and the same thing happens in, in, in type and shadow. If I come to Leviticus 1, I'm going to read this again. Leviticus 1, verses 2 through 5. Leviticus 1, 2 through 5 says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice to the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. So here, here is what the sacrifice has to be. A male without a blemish. So he has to inspect the sacrifice. Make sure he doesn't have a blemish. And he's got to bring the sacrifice. So it's a, it, he's bringing it of his own will. Okay? So, so what this is speaking of, although the commandment is there to the Israelite, he has to bring that of his own will. And, and that's what the next part says. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. So of his own will, he's going to offer the sacrifice at the door of the tabernacle congregation before the Lord. And they shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So that sacrifice, is his atonement. So what, what I see in this is when you willfully receive the Lord Jesus, you're putting, so to speak, your hand upon Him. And you're saying, you are my atonement. You are my judgment for sin. That's what you're saying. You are my judgment for sin. 
Because you're, you're, you're believing in Him for your judgment of sin or your removal of sin or your removal of the penalty. However you want to say it, He's the judgment that this is speaking of. So, so when I receive the Lord, my sins are washed away. They are removed. And how they are removed is they are laid upon the sacrifice. Now, Jesus doesn't come and die for me or for someone new every day, does He? One sacrifice for sins completely removes sin, the penalty of sin off the earth. It completely did it. However, we have been conditioned a whole lot like them under the law. What do I mean by that? Day after day after day, we're conditioned that we're sinners. In fact, Sister Shirley, and I repeat, and I know this is a repeat in some measure, but that's where I'm at. We grew up preaching to people. Not the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but we grew up preaching to people their own righteousness. And people walked around struggling with how do I get righteous? How do I get free from sin? All, all these things we, we grew up and have dealt with. And many of us spent a lifetime wrapped around sin. We were sin conscious. We were not Christ. But Stan, I like to say this, not Christ conscious. What, what does that mean? Christ removed my sin. If I become conscious of Him, then my sin becomes removed. So typically when we approach the Lord, when we approach God, when we, in, a, in the simplicity of, of our walk with God, typically when we come to the Lord, we almost come and say, God, I am a sinner. No. Do we or not? Or do we come and say, Father, I believe you remove my sin through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ one time for all. How do I approach God? Do I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus? Or do I confess that I'm a lowlife? Most, much of the time we confess we're lowlifes because we're not confessing what He has done. And we've been conditioned not to confess what He has done. We, we do not see the greatness of His death on the cross. As simple as it is, 
Many times we don't see the greatness of it that it can totally purge my conscience from sin. Completely purge it. Completely purge from the missing of the mark, from the offense, from whatever I want to call sin. He completely took sin on Himself. So all that I've ever done, Jesus took it. Anything. All my hatred, all my envy, all my strife, He bore it on the tree. He became my propitiation. He became my atonement. What the animal couldn't do, He did. And this, and this is the whole entrance into the kingdom of God is, is preaching the death of His Son. There is absolutely no salvation without the death of Christ. Because in the death of Christ is removal of sin. See, there, there are ideas in, inside of, 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 church, of believers, people that have believed God, where people have come in and said, well, God really, you weren't really a sinner. You were really all right with God, you just didn't know it. And there are people that are following that idea. That all Jesus did was come to show me how God thought about me. Now that idea is out here today. But, but, the, but the cross, the, the judgment of the cross has to become, get alive in our heart that He removed my sin. Not only did He remove my sin, I'm trying not to go there today, He removed me. He removed the sinner. So He didn't just deal with the condition of sin, He dealt with the man of sin. The whole man. Because he became a man to, for a purpose to die. The death of the cross. That's why he became a man to die the death of the cross. We'll flip over to, to uh, John chapter 8. Verse 28. John 8, 20 says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, now this, this goes right along with John 3. I should have read John 3 first. So stay at John chapter 8. I'm going to read John 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must, has to happen, it must, it has to happen, must the Son of Man be lifted up. That, for what purpose? Whosoever believeth may in him have eternal life. So it shows you where eternal life is at. I like this translation. It may, may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, now, 
here, here's another gap here. I'm going to throw out a gap and we're going to get back to John 8. When I read this, that I'm going to get eternal life, many times my mind says, when I die. That's what my mind will say. When I die. That's what most people believe. Most people believe they're not perishing until someday when they die. But that's not what he's, that's not, this doesn't just pertain to when you physically die. He's talking about perishing right now. Now, now specifically to the Jews, he was dealing with them of what was coming up on Jerusalem because Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. He was the fulfillment of the prophets. But the perishing life was going, is, is going on in people's heart right now. And, and Jesus said that whosoever believed on him should not perish, but have, say present tense, have, not going to get, have eternal life. And this word eternal means life, aeonian life, or life of the new age, of the new day. So, so this was a new life that was coming that they didn't have. And that life, Jesus declares in another place, I am that life. But, but listen to this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So the Son of Man had to be lifted up. Amen. Because if he's not lifted up, man is still in his sin. And here, here he goes, John, back to John 8 and 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things, and He that sent me is with me. He hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that are pleasing to Him. And He spake these things, and as He spake these things, many believed on Him. Jesus therefore said to those Jews that had believed, so he perceived they believed on him. They were believing it, he was the Messiah. If, he says to them, if you abide in my word, then are you truly my disciples. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now what they do? See, here, here's their mess up. They answered him unto him and said, we're Abraham's seed and have never yet been in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, everyone that committed sin is the bondservant of sin or is bound by sin and the bondservant abideth not in the house forever. The Son abides forever. If therefore the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now what's he dealing with free from? Sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So here, what, what the Jews immediately did, even those that believed on him, they reverted immediately back to the law. That was immediate in their heart. 
Hey, Abraham's our father. We're not bound by any man. And Jesus knew their heart, and he goes on to tell them that I know you're Abraham's seed, yet you seek to kill me because my word have not course in you. I speak the things which I've seen in my father, and you do the things which you have heard from your father. And Jesus tells in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So, so what? That, that was the works of Abraham. Abraham believed God. And what he's telling the Jews here, if you were who you say you are, then you would do the works of Abraham. You would believe me but you will not abide in my word. That's what he's dealing with, the people that won't abide in his word. And see what we do, and we are not meaning to many times, we don't continue to abide in his word. He is the answer for your sin. You, you know that altar of brazen altar has four horns. And those horns is denoting power. So the power over sin is the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power over sin. And, and, and I believe that four also represents the whole earth. Because you have the, east, the north, south, east, and west. And the Bible speaks of four winds. And, and Israel camped in four groups around the altar. So here, around the, the tabernacle. So here you have there four. Four horns. The power, the authority in that offering for sin. And many times, if I mess up, I'll fall back to what? The law. And I'll search in my heart, trying to be right with God by my works. I guess nobody else has experienced this besides me. And I can tell you, in fact, you have. And this is this has went on in Christianity for years that okay, I got mad at so and so. Here's something simple. I'll tell God what I'm going to do the next time. I won't do it again, Lord, I'm sorry. I really won't confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus has removed this guilt from me. I don't know if this is saying anything to you, but it's, but it's speaking to me. He removed this from me. Father, this isn't even who I am. I'm not even this man. I'm confessing the Lord Jesus. 
See, see, we think confessing the Lord Jesus is this one-time event that when we got born again, we confessed the Lord Jesus. It's a continual working in our lives that we're continually confessing what He has done. So I'm confessing His victory over sin. Because He's victorious over it. And because He is victorious over it, so am I. So it's penalty does not have a hold on me. See, he that believeth on me shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. If you don't believe on me, that's what he was telling the Jews, if you don't believe on me, you're going to perish. If you do believe on me, you shall not perish, but you shall have my life. And you get this life by believing on Him. And believing is not a one-time event either. I continue to believe on Him. I continue, even inside of bad circumstances, I believe on Him. I believe on Him. I believe on what He's done. See, the word of faith is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. That's what Paul said. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. The word of faith which we preach. That is if, if you confess what? The Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. Now this word saved, I, I taught on it some time back, is a whole lot bigger than, than just what we talk about immediate salvation. Yes, that's in immediate salvation, but in salvation, you know, the man at the gate of beautiful, when that was crippled, he was saved. Go look the word up. He was saved. He was delivered from the condition he was in and he was made whole. And he was made whole because his condition was transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ and he believed on him and was made whole, was delivered. So he believed what God hath done in Christ. That's what he believed. What God completely did, removing the penalty of sin, removing the wages of sin, removing it all, he laid on him the transgression of us all. And, he, and, and the writer Isaiah, or Isaiah, I guess he wrote his book, or whoever wrote Isaiah for Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed. And our healing can be physical, spiritual, mental, whatever. So if you're in mental anguish, He's your answer. He really is. He's, he's really the answer. 
Flip back to Isaiah 53. The Lord just is, is minister, has been ministering this so in my heart. Verse 3, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised. People, this piece of it, um, I probably haven't ministered that much of Isaiah 53. I've ministered Isaiah 53 for years. But I probably have, have read over he was despised. Men despised him. So they didn't flock to him and say, oh, you know, like people show that draw the pictures of Jesus and a halo around his head. Just an aura coming off his head, right? You've see, you seen the picture of him? Walking with that beautiful white robe. And he's got this golden aura coming off his head. He was despised. You know what despise is? I hate you. I can't stand you. I don't like what you have to say. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why, why, why did you why as this? Because this, he took the despisement of you. Have you ever been despised? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever had sorrows? He took your despising, your rejection, your sorrows, and your grief. Have you ever had grief? Have you ever been grief-stricken? He took it. He bore it in the body of his flesh. So if we don't understand that, that's what he did. So I could walk in his life. I could walk in his resurrection life. His life out from this condition. See, his life is out from this. He came into this to die to it. So the way he can deliver me from this is he died to all of this. He died not being esteemed. Now what do you say? That in the name of Jesus, is He esteemed today? You better believe it. In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue shall confess. So He died to this and He removed it from you. That's what He did. He took what you were and removed it. So He took your guilt. He took your shame. He took your pain. The anguish of your heart, He removed. Now that's confessing the Lord Jesus. See, see when I say I'm confessing the Lord Jesus, usually, uh, uh, and, I, and I want to be careful how I say this, so I'm going to calm down because I want to just blurt something out. I caught myself with it. Many times, when we talk about confessing the Lord, we, we and, and, and don't mishear me, I believe God does things for you, but we wrap it around in, in, in getting something from God. And yet we may walk around in misery. What if we get this from God? 
What if we get a state of being that's not in grief? What if we get a state of being that's not in sorrow? What if we get a state of being that, that, that doesn't have sickness, natural or, or spiritual? What if we get that? be a pretty good prize, wouldn't it? What if we get a mental stability? What if we get the mind of Christ? Paul said we did. Paul said you have the mind of Christ that He may, He can instruct you. So, so in the past you couldn't because you were carnally minded. Right? So God, so you couldn't know the things of God because the natural man doesn't know the things of God. They had never entered into his heart. But the Apostle Paul turns around and says, now you have, you have the mind of Christ. See, see, I take these scriptures and if I don't, if I don't rightfully divide the Word of God, who's ever heard that? You ever heard that, Sheila? Rightly divide the Word of God? If I don't rightly divide it, I want, I want to show you something. I haven't seen, ear, haven't heard, never entered into the heart the things that God had prepared for him. Alright? The Bible says it. So I can walk around and say, the Bible says, I haven't seen, ear, haven't heard, never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. I can say that. And I can imagine what those things are. Or, I can believe that that was speaking to an old man under the law. Because that's a quote, I believe, out of Deuteronomy. I believe it, it references back somewhere, I believe, in Deuteronomy. And now you have the mind of Christ that He can instruct you into those things that He has given you. Now I can move, I can choose to move, in what God has done, or I can choose to stay where I'm at. See, see, this this is where it comes up on my own shoulders. I can believe God, but God has revealed them to us, is what Paul said. Past tense. Not he's going to in the sweet by and by. Never said in the sweet by and by, we'll understand it better by and by. None of that those things does Paul say. Paul says we understand it by the Spirit of God. Well, what I have to do is stick my foot down on that. And when somebody tells me in the sweet by and by, I don't agree with them anymore. And they may think I'm mad. I ain't mad at them. I just don't agree. I just know better. The Spirit of God told me that I'm going to wear it by Him. I ain't going to wear it by sweet by and by. I'm hearing the Spirit of God myself, and His voice will I follow. And I'm not going to back down from that. I'm not going to say, okay, let me appease you. No. I'm going to abide in His Word. I'm moving into His Word. So what I used to like may not appeal to me anymore. Songs I used to sing. They just might not appeal. And it's not that I'm mad about it. It's I've heard the voice of God. And when I've heard the voice of God, I'm not willing to accept it anymore. I'm not willing to stand on it. 
And, and, and that choice is ours. I can continue. I can stand. I can choose to, to stay there. I can choose not to move. So, so I can make a choice. God, had, just like he showed with the free will offering, the burnt offering, you could choose to bring the offering to the Lord. And you could choose to bring one without blemish. I'm sure none of the Israelites looked at their cattle and said, I don't want to give God this one. This ain't the best one. I'm sure none of them stuck their best one over in the corner and left him over there and gave God the second best. I'm sure none of them ever did that. I'd say they did. I'd say their hearts. But see, God didn't. When God chose, He sent His Son. He said, Sacrifice and offering have I not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou wouldest not. You aren't satisfied with them, Lord. So you prepared me. And when John sees Jesus coming down to the water, he says, Behold, this is who God has sent. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And a voice speaks to John and says, This is my beloved Son. In Him I'm well pleased. This one's good enough to offer, John. This one's good enough. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers. I'm the only entranceway into God. See, if I go back and preach the law, what we don't understand is I'm preaching another entranceway into God. We don't understand that. See, see, we're going back and, and we're saying Jesus came up. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So your access is, and I said this a few weeks ago, and it, and it just rose up in my heart that he was speaking to a Jewish audience when he said that. When Jesus was talking, the people around him were people of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes in particular. And I guess the Levites were mixed in there. Maybe some of the others had come back. But, but Judah, he come as a lion of the tribe of Judah. So he tells them, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Think, think what he's saying, if you put it in context of his day. All their day, they had believed the way was the temple. They're going to come to the temple door. They're going to slay an animal. And God's going to forgive their sins till next year. Or to the next time. Actually, the Day of Atonement was a yearly thing, but they may come multiple times. They're going to come back, offer their offering, and this thing's just going to go. And here Jesus comes on scene and says, Hey, I'm the way. This ain't the way. I'm the truth. And, and, and even when you, when you hear that, think of this scripture. says, There's a way that seemeth right. Not a way that seemeth wrong. Have you ever noticed that scripture? I don't know where it's at, Brother Bob. There's a way that seemeth right to a man. Again, hear this. Not a way that seemeth wrong. You know what way seemed right to man? The law. 
The law seemed right to man, but the end of the law was death. And the end thereof is what? Death. There was no access into the Holy of Holies through the law. Now, it seemed right. It was given of God. It seemed right. But the way hadn't came yet. And he comes and he says, I'm the way. Enter in at the straight gate. You know they had a gate? A gate into the uh, holy place, into the, into the uh, courts of the temple. Do you know that was through a gate? You ever thought about that? When Jesus says, enter in at the straight gate, that, that he may be bringing their gate, their, their court into view. And he says, I'm the straight gate, just like he says, I'm the way. I'm your access. No one's coming but through me. And if I don't come, you don't have life. So sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. He taketh away the first. He took away the first man. But he, And I said this a couple weeks ago. He took away the first sacrifice. The first sacrificial system was taken away that I may establish the second. So we don't preach any other way to become righteous but through receiving Him. There's no other way. Because all my righteous works won't amount to a hill of beans. Wouldn't be something if we accepted that, that I can't, Lord, without you, I can't be righteous. That I, I have received the gift. Paul calls it the gift. What's a gift? I receive the gift of righteousness. Now see, what, what I was taught most of my life growing up, and I've struggled with this for many years, Sheila, I had to be righteous. Paul said he made me righteous. So if I confess the Lord Jesus, if I confess the Lord Jesus, I am righteous. If I confess the Lord Jesus, if I confess myself, I will say I'm unrighteous. If I believe in my heart the Lord Jesus, I will believe I am right. Guilty each one, and so, so he that is without sin cast the first stone. So the heart of that man become open to the discerning of the Lord, right? And when the hearts of those men become open to the discerning of the Lord, they left. And left the woman there. And what did she say? He said, where are thine accusers?
when the Bible reached there that he stooped down and rode in the sand. He lowered himself. He became a man. He lowered himself and he wrote in the sand. That's like the hand of God writing in the earth. So he writes in the sand. And he says, go and sin no more. Now, we, we, we think he's, he threw her back under the Mosaic law. No, no, I'm going to write into your heart the word of God and give you a nature that does not have sin in it. Because I'm going to stoop down and take what you are upon me. And I'm going to crucify And put it away. I'm going to bury it. And it's going to be gone. I, I, I for years wondered why in the world did they bring two goats on the day of atonement? Good story. You ever read that, Sheila? They brought two goats there, not one. And one goat they slayed. One goat they said fell to the Lord. And the other one was the scapegoat. You've heard the scapegoat. You've heard of the scapegoat. Or the, and what the scapegoat was is they laid all their sins on this goat. And someone would take that goat out in the wilderness and turn it loose. Uh, and, you know, I think, what does that mean? And all at once, you know, the Lord just begins to put scriptures together as far as the east is from the west, so shall thy sins be. I sent them away. Thy sins and iniquities will I remember no more. They won't come before me because I laid them up on him. That's what that scapegoat represented that God had sent away your sins and your iniquities that no more would they come into His remembrance. And, and what does He say in Romans 8? Or not Romans 8, Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, and we're, we're probably going to wind up here. Finish up here, Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 says, This is the covenant, verse 10. This is the covenant, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. After those days. You say after. Those days. Say, if the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and on their heart, like Jesus wrote in the sand, on their heart will I write them, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his fellow citizen, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. And their sins will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he had made the first old, but that which is becoming old and waxeth age is nigh unto vanishing away. What, what does that mean in verse 13? The temple was still there. When, when, when Hebrews was written, 
it was nigh to vanishing away. He made it old. He'd done away with it at the cross. He had brought forth the final sacrifice at the cross, but it was still there. And see, this is the problem. This thing is still in our hearts. This old system is, is vanishing away. It's over. It's no more. God's not bringing it back. God's not building another house in the Middle East. You are the house of the living God. As God said, as who said? Paul wrote, as God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, this is another thing about abiding in the Word. When I hear that Word by the Spirit of God, I can choose to abide in it or I can go back and, and, and look for a house in the Middle East. But enough on that. Thy sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Why will He not remember them anymore? Because He put them on Jesus. Because your sin, your trespass, you're missing the mark, He laid upon Him. He laid it on Him. So, so the more I love Jesus, the more I know Jesus, you know what that does in me? You know, some people say, well, well you're just giving a license to sin, Brother Wayne. No, 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 no. The more I know Him, the less I want to do things anyway. The more of a relationship I get with Him, the less I want to act out like a child. You know how you say your children act out? But when a relationship happens with the Lord, I'm not saying I don't mess up. I, Lord knows I do. But I believe He has sanctified me from my sin. And the more of the relationship I have with Him, the more of Him I have, and the more of Him I will express. See, see it's almost the exact opposite. We thought we, thought we had to fight sin and fight the devil and Christians fight the devil every day. I got news for you. He conquered the devil at the cross. He, he destroyed him. You know, the Bible says. Destroy. What's destroy mean? Anybody, anybody ever looked at the word destroy? Amen. Annihilated. Took him. Robbed him. Robbed his kingdom. Overthrew him. So everything the devil had ever said, everything the devil had ever done, Jesus destroyed it. And when he rose from the dead, what did he say? He said, I've got most of the power, but I left a little bit to the devil. No. He said, all power is given to me. But the confession of, of people's mouths is not, Lord, you have all power. Think about it. Lord, you have all power. What's the confession? Bear with me for just a handful more minutes and I'm going to stop. I'll, I'll close my Bible, my computer. Look. I do. The, you, you know, again, we grow up in, in, in Christianity, and thank God for, for, for growing up, getting born again, knowing the Lord, and coming, but, but we thought it was something to walk around and talk about fighting with the devil. 
And then you start reading the word and it says, resist the devil and he'll flee. So don't fight with him. Don't argue with him. Don't fuss with him. So maybe just what the devil may want to do is fight with him. I don't know. But the writer says, resist the devil. Well, if I declare Jesus has all power in heaven and earth, would that be resisting the devil? He has all power. I bow only to him. I don't bow nowhere else. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He has all authority in my life. He has dominion over me. He has dominion in my life because he is my life. So now I'm confessing him. See, 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 we can take this word, this this deep word of God that he's given us, and we can have it. And then it doesn't really affect much around us. Or we can begin to affect things with it. We can begin to declare it in the earth. We can begin to declare it in the in the atmosphere we're in. In the in the place God puts you. Declare what He shows you. He's given you a mouth and you like to talk about a lot of things. You like to use that mouth for a lot of things, don't you? Why not declare Him? Declare what He has shown you. Has God shown you anything? If God has shown you anything, declare it. Don't button it up. Don't zip it up. Don't hide it. Declare it. Say it. Confess it. Speak it to people. Kingdom of God comes out with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. When someone begins to declare, you, you know, something opposite in the Word of God, you, you know, just like I said earlier, we'll understand it better by and by. You can simply say the Scripture says that He hath He hath revealed them unto us by the Spirit. You can begin to declare what's real in you. You know. Brother, Brother Gary, uh, 